Good job. Uh, my name is Anthony. Uh, I'm the pastor here at Valley Hope, if, if we don't know one another. Um, we have just a couple uh, of announcements for you, and I apologize if I forget any. So um, maybe can somebody flag me down uh, if, if I do. Uh, one is that immediately following this service, we have an um, adult Sunday school class that's going to meet in the fellowship hall. All right, that's one of them. I got one, remembered one. Um, and uh, if you're in the fellowship hall, you're welcome to, to just stay where you are and stay in the class uh, if you'd like. Um, but then everybody who's interested from here, go over there. It's taught by Lori Tyson, who's over back here. Um, she is a graduate of Calvin Theological Seminary, and the, the class is on a book called Creation Regained. Uh, it's uh, a little modern classic on what it means to be caught up in the story of God. Uh, and so if you're interested, I encourage you to go. It's okay that you've missed the first two weeks. You are still welcome. Middle school and high school, you're welcome to come. Parents, if you need to have your kids play in the back of the room, that's cool. Basically, if you're a human being in this room, you are invited to come to the fellowship hall. Um, also, uh, this coming week is Teacher Appreciation Week at Owen Middle School, um, and we, Amy Berry, is helping to, to lead a series of things all week to show love and appreciation to those teachers. Uh, we have a particular day that we're taking, so uh, we could use your help and participation, whether it's just contributing to the food that we give to them, or uh, if you want to help in other ways, we'll have information on signing up for that in our email, um, but that's this week, so there's not much time to think about it. And it's tomorrow. Great. So tomorrow is the day. Uh, you have minutes, maybe hours to think about it, and then you can volunteer and contribute, and we would love for you to do that. Um, they know who we are at Owen Middle School um, because we want them to know who we are. Uh, we love them, and we want to serve them because they serve so many of the kids, the families of this valley. Uh, we appreciate that, uh, and not only that, we believe that they're engaged in things that are important in the kingdom of God. So we, we want to love and serve these people in the name of Jesus uh, every chance that we get. Uh, finally, uh, it, is, it is the season of the church year for us where we are moving into uh, nominating and voting on our next uh, crop of officers, elders, and deacons. So if you're a member of our church, you, we need you to help us form the team that will do the bulk of that work, form the nominating committee. Uh, so we have gotten uh, six names, uh, I think, um, and we would welcome more. If you would like someone to serve on that committee, you need to contact me uh, and David Hauser so we can make sure all those names go on the ballot uh, so that, that you all, the, the congregation, can vote on those things. So that congregational meeting will be soon in a couple weeks uh, where we can form that committee and get working on that. All right. Was there other things that I was supposed to say? Is it it? Okay. Who knows? All right. Amy will tell me what I've missed later. Um, so she's actually not here today. So if you just pretend that I did it, that would be great for me. Thank you. Um, all right. Turn to John 21, starting at the 15th verse. Uh, we're in this Easter season. We're looking at uh, some stories from the Gospels post the resurrection. Uh, next week, Zach Washburn will be with us preaching. Uh, if you don't know Zach, 
Um, he used to be a part of our church for a long time. He was a regular preacher with me at our, at our church. Uh, he's coming back from Oregon for a, for a few days, which we're stoked about, and uh, I'm excited for you to hear from him. And then once uh, he leaves, the next week we'll start a series on the book of Acts. Um, so this will be our last uh, gospel story uh, like this for, for a bit. John 21, 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you out where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple who Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remains until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who's bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not, could not contain the books that would be written. Now I want you to turn uh, to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 through 6. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against yourselves, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves." and chastises every son whom he receives. Let me pray for us. <clears throat> Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that this word um, is, is carried along by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Father, we pray that this God-breathed word would penetrate our own hearts. Father, we ask that you would help us to focus on you and to follow you. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> uh, 
this story in the, in the Gospel of John uh, is, is immediately after this scene uh, where the disciples are on a boat and they're fishing and they see Jesus on the shore of this body of water and they don't recognize at first that it's Jesus and he miraculously directs them to put their nets in and they haul in a great number of fish, the precise number of which uh, John tells you. Um, and he, Peter jumps out of the boat and he swims to shore and what John tells you is that there's a charcoal fire waiting for them, um, and that Jesus is already preparing breakfast, uh, a breakfast of fish. Not my preferred breakfast, but apparently a thing that people ate for breakfast in the ancient Near East. Now, the, the writer of John is setting the scene for us to help us see that something's going to happen with Peter that is significant for him. The last time that John mentions a charcoal fire in his gospel, it is the charcoal fire around which Peter denies knowing Jesus three times. And so what's recreated is the circumstance of his denial. And Jesus asks him three more times, do you love me? And for every time that Peter has denied Jesus, he affirms his love. He has the opportunity to affirm that he actually indeed does know and love Jesus. This story, this section of the story is, is probably the more famous part of it. Um, people get into the shifting of what Jesus calls Peter to and, and why he asked him three times and the manner in which he asked him. But I want us to focus on the part that follows this affirmation. Because Peter is still Peter. Peter is told by Jesus that he is going to follow him in a way that we know, the author helps us see, is going to lead to Peter's death. And Jesus tells him, alludes to the manner of his death, either by broadly speaking to incarceration, to imprisonment, by that's what he means by his hands would be outstretched, bound together. Or we know the church has always traditionally told that Peter has, will die in a manner similar to Jesus. He will be crucified, hands outstretched. And often he's represented as being crucified upside down because he felt unworthy to be crucified in the manner that Jesus was crucified. So Jesus speaks of Peter's death. And now for the rest of Peter's life, the cross is leaving a shadow over his own destiny. He is now marching towards an end that he doesn't know when, maybe not precisely how, but he knows what's marked out for him is a road very similar to Jesus'. And Peter is perhaps not too pleased about hearing this, this portion. At the very least, Peter is prone to do in this moment what Peter has been prone to do in many times in the gospel. Peter looks over his shoulder, and in the gospel of John, throughout the gospel, and at several points, there is a, there's tension between Peter and the disciple whom Jesus loves, John. And there's points of comparison throughout the gospel. And Peter once again turns to compare himself to this disciple and say, okay, yeah, but what about him? What about this guy? And Jesus bats down his question. He says, what, basically, 
What business of that is yours? What, what concern of that is that to you? How is that your prerogative? You follow me. And, and the author of the Gospel of John says, this is people misunderstood and thought maybe this is saying that the disciple of Jesus loves, John's going to live on forever. And that's not what Jesus was saying, he says. But Jesus' point is to say, this is not your business. You follow me. And as I sat with <clears throat> this passage for this week, it was this second charge to Peter, this repeated command, you follow me, that I could not get away from. Jesus is insistent with Peter that his vision be focused and fixed on him and him alone. Our world today <clears throat> is one that is set up, it is arranged for comparison and for distraction. We, we have a variety of means and mechanisms and machines devoted entirely towards comparison. And many people spend a great deal of their time sitting on their phone or in front of a computer or watching media. That is, it is entirely about getting you to look at other people's lives or appearances of other people's lives and to compare where you are to them. And this, this compulsion to comparison is played upon for profit by lots of people involved. Advertisers are leveraging your and my need to compare myself to everybody else so that I will buy the product that they are advertising. And I, my whole experience on the internet, driving on the road, reading newspapers, if some people still do those things, that is, is all organized around me being motivated by comparison to purchase something that I do not have. Comparison is in the air that you and I are breathing. And it is spiritually incredibly dangerous. Because if we buy in to this mode of being, this mode of perpetual comparison, we will live a kind of spiritual life that is watered down, it is often fraudulent, and is leading us to dangerous places. Comparison is both too easy and too difficult for us to handle in our spiritual lives. It is simultaneously both too easy for us as a spiritual journey and too difficult. And here's what I mean. I can easily compare myself to all of you people and make myself to be the king of the world. I, I have it within my ability, and often it is my inclination, to see the worst things about all of you that I see, you know, in our, in our interchanges, in, in the minutes that we have together, to categorize how I have actually, at my best, I have exceeded all of you. Because it makes me feel better to think I'm actually doing better than all of you. 
And maybe, maybe you don't feel that way, but I certainly do. It is, it is tempting to get frustrated in spiritual life and following Jesus. It, I, I see many of my own failures, and it, is, it just makes me feel a little bit better to know that at least I'm better than insert names here, right? I, I may be having a hard time, but they are having a worse time. It's too easy to live that kind of life. It's too easy to look at you at your worst and to pretend like I don't know all of the terrible things that go on in my own heart. And it's at the same time too difficult. You may be in a different season of your life in your, in your walk with God where you feel the weight of all your failure all the time. And so when you are looking at the outward appearance of so many people, what you are seeing is all the way that everybody else is so much better than you. And you see the interior of your own life. How deeply fraught with darkness it is. How you are ensnared in sin, caught in ways that you feel like you cannot get away from. And you feel the weight of all your shame magnified by all the ways that everybody else seems to be doing so much better. And you can be both of those people. From moment to moment, you can be caught between the trap of easily saying, I am passing the test, clearing what is frankly a pretty low bar of being better than everybody else at their worst, and a moment later feel the weight of the shame at being unable to live up to people at their best. And what we can regularly be so caught doing is the same thing that Peter does in John chapter 21 to turn over our shoulder and to say, but what about them? What about them? And what Jesus does with Peter is to pull his face around and to say, that is none of your business. You follow me. You follow me. The author of, of Hebrews chapter uh, 12 is in the middle of this long discussion of what it means to faithfully follow Jesus. He's listed this long list of people who have faithfully followed. And in Hebrews chapter 11, there's all these heroes. And he, he says, I, don't, I haven't even named all of them. He he, he runs through a long list of Old Testament people and, and demonstrates their faithfulness. And then at the end, he's like, there's way more. I haven't even begun to tell you all the people that there are. There are so many people who have faithfully followed God. And what is tempting is to come to the end of Hebrews chapter 11 and to think, I've got I've to think and I've got to look at those people and I've got to try to be just like them. And how am I not like them? But the argument from Hebrews chapter 11 runs into Hebrews chapter 12 and what then the author of Hebrews wants you to see is forget these folks look then at Jesus who is the great faithful one and the author and perfecter of your own faith and what he says is fix your eyes on him Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of your faith. 
And he describes Jesus' own journey. That for the joy that was set before him, he endures the cross. He endures everything that goes with it. And he says, because of this, take heart when trials come. Be not surprised when the Father lets you experience seasons of discipline and testing because he loves you. Jesus becomes the target. He becomes the one who sustains. He becomes the explanation for our own experience. Jesus wants your eyes to be fixed on him so that you and I would be engaged in an active life of following him. And we have to be deadly serious about tending to our own hearts that we would not be caught up in these regular practices of comparison and distraction because when you change the target, you will hit whatever it is you are aiming at. And if you're not aiming at Jesus, you're not going to end up in a place that is full of life. And when the moments of discipline and suffering and correction come, if your eyes aren't fixed on Jesus, you are going to enter into the same life that Peter is called to, and you will miss what God has for you. There is danger when your eyes go over your shoulder to someone other than Jesus. Comparison is in the air that we breathe. And what the scriptures invite us to is focus. So the question then this morning is where are you looking? Where are you looking to measure your spiritual life? Have you, have you comforted yourself by other people's failures? Have you comforted yourself by other people's failures? Do you regularly recount the way that others have failed? Other people have failed you? So that under this litany of other people's failures, you yourself feel like a success. If, if that is what you have done, you need to look at Jesus and follow him. Are, are you doing the opposite? Are you laboring under this weight of shame and thinking that everybody else's success is signs of your own irredeemable failure? Have you bought in to this lifestyle of comparison and dug for yourself a spiritual grave? Wherever you are across that spectrum, and maybe you traverse the two categories regularly. The first part of John chapter 21 that we read shows for you what it is that God wants for you. He views you as one of his sheep, as one of his little lambs. He wants you to be tended, to be cared for, to be fed. So if you have been looking to other people's failures to justify your own sense of superiority or comfort, 
You should instead look to Jesus and see that what he wants for you, what he has sent people to do for you and to you, is that you would be tended by his own hand as he, the good shepherd, has provided for you. And you don't have to look to somebody else's failures to justify your sense of acceptance. You have been accepted in love and cared for by him already, and you will be to the end. And if you are laboring under the weight of shame and failure and disappointment because you just don't quite measure up to everybody around you, you are one of his little lambs. You've always been helpless in his eyes. And what, what he wants to do is to bring you in, to care for you, to shepherd your heart, to feed you. If you put your eyes on Jesus, you will find for yourself a better way to live. And what Jesus invites you, commands you, as he commands Paul, uh, Peter, is to actively follow him. This is, this is the great question that looms there for all of us. Are we following Jesus? Do we live a life of active contemplation of God, of actively learning to obey him, of actively fixing our eyes on Christ and letting that move the entirety of our life? Do we hear Peter this Peter in 1 Peter saying uh, the, the standard for ourselves is God himself. Be holy as I am holy. Are we listening to the author of Hebrews chapter 12 and, and hearing throw off everything that so easily entangles? Are we hearing Jesus' command and invitation, follow me? Don't just look at me, follow me. The resurrected Lord Jesus has for you and for me a better way of life. And if we give ourselves over to the gods of this world, to the gods of comparison and consumption and distraction and dismay, we will never go anywhere. We will sit on the beach looking over our shoulder for the entirety of our lives. But if we look at Jesus and Jesus alone and hear his command, follow me, we will go somewhere. We will go somewhere better than we could have imagined. Not someplace that's always comfortable. <clears throat> because the cross brings a shadow over all our lives but we will go to the place that he has for us. The place where he is. The place where we come most fully alive. Jesus would say to me and to you this morning, what business of, is it of yours? What I do with them. You follow me. The question for us is, will we obey? Let me pray for us. <clears throat> Father, we thank you that in Jesus we hear your great love and care for us. 
We hear that you want to, to feed us, to tend our hearts, to care for us. We know that you are gentle and patient with the doubter, with the sinner and the failure. You are patient with us. And yet you move us to follow you. You move us to follow you into a life that is better than one defined by the people on our left and our right. Father, I pray for those who have had to give their lives to the task of constantly comparing themselves to others. People who have said, I have to figure out the ways that I'm better than the people around me. And those of us who have labored so hard to try to understand why we fall so short of the people around us. And God, I pray that you would correct our vision, that you would help us to leave aside this life of comparison and distraction. And instead, we would launch out and follow you. Jesus, you have good things for us. Help us to believe that and to trust that. Help us to give over to you the things that weigh us down, the things that we constantly distract ourselves with, comparing ourselves, compare ourselves to. Father, we thank you for your mercy that we might live in the shadow of the cross, but you are the God who went to the cross for us, on our behalf, in our place, that we might be your little lamb. Jesus, there's nobody like you. We, we know that from our comparison, there is no one like you. Help us to, to believe that in our hearts and to rejoice in that fact and to keep our eyes fixed on you, the author and the perfecter of our faith. God, may you sustain us until the very end. I invite you to stand and sing with us.